On today's episode of The Door Report, powered by Alaco Finewood Floors, we're joined by Blake Lovell from Southeastern 14 to recap Vandy's two-point victory over Ole Miss on Saturday and look ahead to their matchup with Georgia on Wednesday night in the SEC tournament. We also discuss the parity that could cause some chaos in the SEC tournament, and Blake Lovell gives us his dark horse that could make a run down in Tampa this week. Plus, we've got a full recap of the Vandy Boys' four-game sweep of Hawaii in Honolulu this past weekend and an in-depth look at the postseason scenarios for Jerry Stackhouse and the Commodores as we enter the madness that is the month of March. We've got all that and much more coming right up here on The Door Report, powered by Alaco Finewood Floors. Let's ride. At Vanderbilt. It's Tim Corbin in the Vandy Boys, Jerry Stackhouse on the hardwood, and Clark Lee on the gridiron. Nashville, it's time to sit back, relax, grab a cold one, and enjoy the show. The Music City is our state, and West End is where we rock. You're listening to The Door Report. The premier Vanderbilt podcast for fans who bleed black and gold. Commodore Nation. Anchor down. Welcome into the Door Report. It is episode 150. It is March 8th, 2022. March Madness is officially here, and it is the best time of year, Will. I think we can both agree on that. I know we've got college football also when that goes around, but there's nothing like March Madness, and uh, we are always presented by Alaco Finewood Floors. We got a little baseball to talk about. Will Vandy boys swept uh, Hawaii uh, out in out in Honolulu, that was a four game sweep. We'll talk about that. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the Ole Miss game on Saturday. It almost happened again. Will Vanderbilt almost they did they did everything uh, they could to uh, to fall apart, but they ended up winning that game. So uh, we'll, we'll recap that, and then we will preview the Georgia game on Wednesday night in the SEC tournament. But Will, I think we can both agree we didn't watch that to the full extent as uh, we we might usually would for a, a regular season game. But uh, we'll do our best to, to to try to recap that one on Saturday. Yeah, I watched it. Uh, I I did everything in my power to watch it. Uh, I went and played golf at the tee time about one p.m. Uh, to play eighteen holes that game. Tipped off at five. I was like, you know, worst case, I'm not a good golfer, but we're playing best ball, so worst case, I, I should be done about that time. Missed the first half. I'm a pretty bad golfer. Like I had forgotten. <laughs> oh my God. So I hadn't played since October. I got back and I got to watch sitting down a majority of that second half. Okay. And especially the end with what you talked about. But yeah, I, we're not going to have the in-depth breakdown with that like usual, but no. it's also because we're looking forward to the SEC tournament. And that's the, that's where our eyes are shifting over yep. to now. The eyes are now in the SEC tournament and, and it's going to look, oh, we, we think a lot better on Wednesday night against Georgia. And then if they win over Georgia, Georgia they'll play Alabama on Thursday so uh, a big week coming up for for not only Vandy but every college basketball team in the country and we'll take a little bit of a look at the SEC tournament got to go a little bit quick here Will before we get to the breaking news don't forget to follow 
us on Twitter at door underscore report and Instagram door dot report. Like us on Facebook, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Our podcast is available on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And while you're at it, give our podcast five stars and a review on iTunes. All right, let's get to the breaking news. No matter what style you're going for, you can trust your flowing job to a Laco fine wood floors. Take a walk through the woods in your home every day. Get your flooring job started today by calling 615-356-0303. Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Craftsmanship you can stand on. All right, well, let's start with a little baseball. And Vanderbilt ended up sweeping Hawaii down in Honolulu. And uh, first off, we'll give credit to those announcers. I don't know if you're able to watch any of that, but the announcers did a great job. They, they highlighted everything with Vanderbilt baseball in between. And kudos to those guys because I didn't expect to, to hear a crew as good as them. So they did a great job on that broadcast. And uh, they, they talked about maybe making a trip to Nashville about going to Puckets and listening to country music and watching Vandy baseball. So, uh, again, Maybe uh, maybe we'll see that and get to meet up with those guys. But uh, but they, I thought they did a great a job good on that crew. broadcast. A good was, crew it, it on, a, a on an ESPN crew. Plus broadcast. We don't usually say that. Usually I text you and I'm like, you've got to turn this on and listen to these guys. Yeah. I think no, I've it, done that like two or three times in the past week. I'm like, flip to this game when you get a sec and listen to the guys they have broadcasting this game. And I'm like, if you don't listen to this, Billy, and think you should have their job, then I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> no, well, legitimately, these guys were great, and I did not expect that. So it was a nice little uh, – it was, it was actually watchable. And, you know, you didn't have to mute the TV, but <laughs> Vanderbilt swept them. Well, they got the win Friday night. Chris McIlvain was tremendous. 13 strikeouts. Uh, Vanderbilt won that game nine to two. They played two games on Saturday. They won the game one, 12 to one. Carter Holton actually took a perfect game into the seventh inning. So he's he's continue continuing to play well. Uh, second game, they won 13 to one. Hunter Owen got the win. And then Sunday, they won two to one. Devin Futrell. Uh, got his third win of the season. So, Will, nine straight wins for this team, and they put up a total of 36 runs over the weekend in Honolulu. So, uh, for me, Will, uh, you know, before we, we kind of get into basketball, I want to mention – a few guys that stood out to me. Number one, Javier Vaz is playing great baseball. He, he hit his first career grand slam in game three. That was the first for Vanderbilt all season long. And that actually proved to be the go-ahead home run in that game in game three uh, on Saturday. And it, it looks like he's taken a nice leap forward after last season. He, he's one of the better hitters on the team so far this season. Uh, so if he can play you know, up to this potential, watch out for this offense because we already know how scary they are. But with, with some of these other guys stepping up like Vaz, it's going to be really fun to watch and another guy wills davis diaz uh, he finished 11 and 19 over the weekend he had three doubles three rbis he was actually named sec freshman of the week and he was inserted into the top of the lineup behind enrique bradfield and he's thrived he's he's played really well uh, he replaced parker nolan at third base uh, and and then nolan has kind of settled into first base so i have a feeling will diaz is a kind of guy like javier vaz last season to kind of step into a role that we may not have thought he would have and because he's a versatile player. He puts the ball in play, great defender, and he's only a freshman. So the young talent is there, and the experienced talent is there, Will, as well. But one thing I've realized about this team, well, I know you've recognized it as well, is their speed. I mean, they've got speed all across this lineup. Bradfield, of course, is he, he's all right. He, he's got he's got a little bit of speed to him. Javier Vaz – yeah, Javier Vaz is stealing bases as well. Diaz got some speed to him. Carter, Carter Young, Parker Nolan, Spencer Jones at six foot seven can run as well. He can get down the line. So, Will, I think we're starting to 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 learn what this team is made of, and it'll continue this weekend. They got a three game series against Wagner. Uh, but Will, it's amazing. It's amazing how much better they play when, when they're not playing a, a top five team, huh? 
Yeah, that was the note that I had written down because that's all I wanted to say. These early season baseball games, that they mean a lot tuning up. They mean a lot for the team. They're kind of, for, especially for a team like Vanderbilt that's not vying to get into postseason play. These are tune-up games. And it's always great to win them. And then when they're not playing a top five program in one of these tune-up games, boy, do they look a lot better. But you mentioned, how many, you mentioned how many runs they scored, and that's good because the SEC is loaded with offensive talent this year. But something I wanted to point out, because those runs do pop up, pop off the charts there. Mm-hmm. You have 9, 12, 13, and then 2 in the win in a little bit different of a fashion there on Sunday in Game 4. But they gave up two runs, one run, one run. And I know that was a doubleheader on Saturday, but still, one run. This Hawaii team, in the, their previous games, just to go in order, it doesn't really matter to the opponent, but they had scored eight runs, eight runs, three runs, one run, seven, six, two, four, and then, you know, that's the start of the season. But yeah. what I'm saying is Vandy held a team that had proven that even though Vanderbilt's better competition, this why team had played teams like Washington State, San Diego State, I don't know how good of baseball yeah. programs they are, but they're not exactly playing these bottom-tier, tiny conference teams. These are known programs, and they were putting up runs. And Vanderbilt, with the questions they have of this pitching staff, was able to shut them down over an entire four-game series which is something that you see in postseason play, these more extended out runs of having to test that pitching depth that you really don't see the same way in these weekend series. So it was nice to see that this year, when that has been a big question going in, that they were able to hold Hawaii to that low run total throughout the entire yeah. weekend. Putting up runs. That's, that's what they did, and that's what they needed to do. And, and you know, they, they did, we talked about them not scoring as many runs, you know, against some of the other midweek teams. Now, I mean, what does this do for you? You know, the, those runs, and I'm sure a lot of they, – they, they kind and of I want to give up. one quick baseball shout-out to my to my school, which I graduated from. He's tied for eighth at – no, I was going to say oh, Tennessee, Tennessee Tech. Tennessee Tech. Oh, uh, yeah, Tennessee Tech. They tied for eighth in the country in home runs. They're back, baby. The, the year that they uh, were one game away from beating Texas to get to the College World Series and the Super Regional – They'll be back They're this back. year. So we, we there's a, a matchup between Texas. there is there is there is they play each other um, oh. later in the season. Yeah. There so we'll go. have to definitely provide some good coverage for that. Oh, you 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 uh you, you we'll we'll have you on as a guest for Tennessee Tech and uh, get you get get, get all the <laughs> I'll research. Be the guest. Will Byram joins <laughs> interviewed by Will Byram. <laughs> but uh no, Will, uh, in all seriousness, this team is starting to round into form and you know, I think the pitching staff as well, Maldonado pitched a, a little bit better and they kind of had a team effort there uh, you know on on Sunday but they ended up getting the, getting the series sweep and and it'll, it'll continue this weekend against Wagner have a three-game series starting Friday 4 30 and then Saturday two o'clock Sunday one o'clock so uh more games with the Hawk coming up this weekend and we can start building up the hype for April 19th as well which is also two dollar Tuesday uh, April 19th when we- Vanderbilt plays Tennessee Tech so in, in Nashville Vanderbilt does so we, I will definitely be in attendance for that you said we'll have t- to do something with Something with uh, the door report there. You said $2 I will beer as well? Tonight. $2, $2 Tuesday. Oh, $2 I don't know what $2 Tuesday, Tuesday is, but $2 that, Tuesday is something. If that includes beers, I, I know there will be a, a decent amount of Select concessions will be $2 throughout the game. Okay, so we'll I see. You'll, highly you'll, doubt that. Highly doubt one of the select concessions is going to be beer, but if it is, it's going to be a very, very fun game. Yes, and you'll be there. You, you'll you'll have the coverage <laughs> there. So leading up April nineteenth, but also will I think this season leads up to April first, the season, the series against Tennessee, and that's mm-hmm. going to be a big one uh, for this team. But uh, they're they're continuing SEC plays. It doesn't start until another few weeks, but uh, SEC plays. Uh, we're right in the midst of it. We're right in the midst of the SEC tournament for Vanderbilt basketball. Will as we roll along, and we'll talk. 
I'm sorry, Vandy baseball fans. We, we you know, we want to talk baseball, but uh, we're kind of in the midst of a, of a basketball, maybe a run through this SEC tournament. So that's what we're going to be talking about now. But we'll start with the game. Soon enough, all that's all, all we will have to talk about. Yeah, really. So there, there will be plenty of baseball coverage after this next couple of weeks. Yes, and uh, maybe sooner rather than later, but uh, <laughs> hopefully not will. But Vandy beat Ole Miss on Saturday, 63-61. They get to 500 to end the season. They're 7-11 overall in the SEC. Ole Miss, uh, can, you know, still down there in the basement this season, 13-18 and overall, 4-14 and in the SEC. Scotty Pippen, Will, 22 points, 6 assists. Did have seven turnovers, but at the same time, I mean, he's playing the entire game. So it's kind of, you know, he has the ball in his hands the entire game. Now, so you don't want seven turnovers, but at the same time, you're, you're going to expect a few. Uh, he was five of seven from the free throw line, Will. What do you know? Pippen makes his free throws, and Vandy wins the game. And that's a common theme there because Jordan Wright had 14 points, 11 rebounds. What was he from the free throw line? Four for five. So – God forbid Vanderbilt makes their free throws down the stretch and they end up winning the game. They and still didn't make their free throws, Billy. Let you continue, but I'm still going to go on a rant about it. Will, Will, Will's rant on the free throws still coming up, but uh, Liam Robbins, 12 points, six rebounds off the bench, and uh, he played a little bit more than he did uh, in, in their last SEC game. And Will, I, again, I, I'm not going to say I watched this whole game because I didn't. I watched most of the second half, and, and I, I was really glued in the last four to five minutes of this one, but it felt like a lot of the same SEC games where Vanderbilt, they have a lead, and then they kind of find a way to, to falter there down the stretch. Oh, give credit to Ole Miss. They fought back. Uh, they made the shots when they had to, but give credit to Vanderbilt towards the end. They found a way. They, they, they found a way to get this win. I think, it, I think it says a lot about them and wanting to finish the season strong because I think if they lose this one, their NIT chances are out the door. I mean, they, they're basically gone. You know, They'd have to probably win out and get to the finals you know I think of the SEC tournament to have a shot but at the same time well they found a way to get it done and I think it says something about this team that they didn't blow it you know and, and it could be kind of could be over overshooting that but at the same time they could have easily lost this game but they didn't let it happen they did not let this happen and you know I, I know I say Pippen and Wright made the free throws but they still missed some some big free throws down down the stretch there uh, so we'll give credit to the team they, they did what they had to do uh, but at the same time, some of those same issues are popping up that we've talked about. So, uh, you know, if they can get those cleaned up, I think a run is possible. But at the same time, if they don't, I think you could see a loss to Georgia. Like, I think that's also possible. So anything's possible as we head to the SEC tournament. But, uh, but Will, I, I know you've, you've got your free throw rant coming up. <laughs> it's not as much of a rant <laughs> it, because it wasn't awful. But it's just the satisfactory level that we have with shooting 71% from the free throw line is like, that's not acceptable still. Like, you, your team should be shooting a minimum 75%. And if your team shoots a minimum 75%, you will win a lot more games. I don't know what the plus minus it'll be. It'll vary between teams and how much you shoot. But I can tell you one thing, with how many free throws Vanderbilt shoots this year, if they would have shot 75% after the year, we'll do a recap. The stat's going to be amazing how many wins they would have if they had just shot 75% and, God forbid, 80% how many more games they would have won this season. But that's besides the point, not breaking down this Ole Miss game whatsoever. So I'll start out with that, which is you said that Ole Miss fought back. Well, initially Vanderbilt had to fight back. So when I was watching on my phone, I was getting in some nice segments there, especially early in the first half. Uh, Vanderbilt took the lead on a pip and layup, I think, at the beginning of the game. And then Ole mm -hmm. Miss at one point in that first half was up 10. Yeah, I think they were up 27 to 17. 
uh, closing out the half, Vanderbilt went down into the second half. They were actually down 33 to 26. And so they made a comeback. Liam Robbins had a nice little stretch in that second half where he made some plays. He was the focus of that offense. That and play you at saw the end. how good he can be, man. That play at the end, the lob from Pippen into Robbins, that was what, mm-hmm. I mean, that was like him in a nutshell. That, that was what Vandy fans had wanted from him all season that's long. What, that's what the team has been missing. Yeah. I mean, what you saw there for that short stretch. Yeah, that one play, it's like, okay, we need more of that. <laughs> like, like let's get yeah. more of let's get more Pippen lobbing in Robbins just being a monster and he showed some emotion as well and that's the kind of player he is and well we've talked about them needing that so much and if they can get that I think a run is possible I really do you know because they're they're as good as Alabama I think they can beat Alabama but at the same time if they if they make some of those mental mistakes down the stretch you know anything can happen with this team I think that's where we're at like there's there's the margin for error is so slim. Yeah, I mean, there's not this huge talent separation, but I think they do have fully healthy a talent separation, even from some teams that they're actually behind yeah. in the standings. I yeah. think that I think Blake uh, Louisville, when he's on later, said the same oh, thing. That he, that, believe, yeah. he believes what I said as well, that fully healthy this entire season, which you can't say that because that's most teams are not fully healthy in the yeah. year. But if they were, that this team was an NCAA tournament team. And I firmly believe that. And this team is healthy going into this NCAA tournament. But I want to touch on one more thing here in this Ole Miss game before we get into our SEC tournament talk, which is in that second half, there was a stretch where this team got hot. And boy, was it fun to watch. Mm -hmm. I think they hit five threes in a row at one point. I think it went that uh, Ole Miss hit a three, then Trey Thomas hit a three, Ole Miss hit another three, then Miles Studi hit a three, then there were two timeouts, then Ole Miss hit a jumper. Ole Miss made a dunk, and then Trey Thomas hit another three, and those were the those were the possessions. That was mm-hmm. the straight possessions in that game, and Vanderbilt closed ground during that time. They had that was the point in the game that Ole Miss they did a good job of not allowing Vanderbilt to shoot up and gain the lead, but that was where Vanderbilt doesn't answer. They don't answer with those threes. They don't answer on the other end, and now they've made a nice little run at the beginning of the half, but now they've fallen back behind by six or eight again, and they're going to be fighting the rest of this game from behind, and they didn't do that. So Trey Thomas, he had a good game. He shot well. Miles Studi, shooters. We keep saying it, Billy. I keep saying it. We keep saying it the whole year. Basketball is just, if the shots are going in, and this team is very, very streaky, and that's why you said that this team has potential to make a run. They also have potential to lose to one in fifteen Georgia and be done after tomorrow night in this uh, in the SEC tournament. So there's a lot of interesting storylines how this bracket can play out. But I know you're wanting to uh, move on to the Tampa yes. Tampa Florida hosted SEC tournament, which is just lovely. Yeah, just a travesty. I mean, the fact that it's in Tampa, I I can't believe it's. Way to copy in the Tampa, tweet that I said but, about like twenty minutes ago. I tweeted that I loved after it. we recorded I lo- with Blake. I loved it. But uh, but yeah, well, I mean, at, at the same time this team they, they have they have the capability to make a run and you know it, it, it they got to play their best basketball they have to and they're playing good basketball they are i know they haven't won a lot of these games down the stretch but at the same time they're playing good basketball they're playing like, 38 minutes of good basketball is what it feels like exactly 36 37 minutes of yeah. top 25 basketball and then the last 
four to five minutes of the game, they're playing like a yeah. bottom 50 team. It's kind of yeah. crazy that, how Roll, it's played out. The roller coaster. It almost happened in Ole Miss. It almost happened in this, in this game. The same exact thing almost happened. It was very close if to Ole happening. If Ole Miss was a better team, I think the same thing would have happened. Yep, yep. And they got lucky uh, playing down, playing on the road. And, Will, we talk, I know we've seen some ugly games, but that game was kind of electric down the stretch there with uh, with that sequence of shots there. It was pretty kind of fun, underappreciatedly uh, fun to watch there down the stretch. Yeah, there was a stretch where there was actually fun offense from like the 15 minute mark of the second half to like the five minute mark of the second half and then yeah. it was bad outside of that it was not good offense but for that 10 minute stretch that 25 percent of that game it was explosive and fun to watch going yeah. back and forth yeah and pippen of course led the charge for vandy he continues to, to carry them on their back and we didn't mention this well but before we get to the tournament preview uh pippen and wright have been honored pippen is uh, on the first team all sec leads the co- leads the conference in scoring no surprise here 20 and a half points per game He's also 15th nationally. Interesting stat. Well, I didn't know this, uh, but he's the first Commodore to earn back-to-back first-team All-SEC honors since Damian Jones in 2015 and 2016. So uh, give credit to, to Pippen and, and everything he's done. He's posted 20-plus uh, points uh, in, in seven straight games. The first Commodore since Dan Lange scored at least 20 in eight straight games in 99. So uh, Jordan Wright, also SEC Scholar Athlete of the Year. So uh, congrats to uh, Jordan Wright. He's uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if you have the, one of the highest GPAs in the conference, but well, let's get to the SEC men's basketball tournament down in Tampa. And of course, looking at Vanderbilt's path to let's say a matchup with Kentucky, we're not going to say go too far ahead and look at their path to the finals, not saying it can't happen, but the, the chances are very slim of that happening. Vanderbilt is the 11 seed playing on the Wednesday night game for the third straight season. Georgia has only won six games this season. They're six and 25. Tom Crean will be fired by the end of the season or after the end of the season. Uh, it's an 8.30 Eastern time tip. Well, <laughs> I've seen on Twitter some people talking about, uh-oh, Georgia could be rallying around Tom Crean, but I don't think this is the type of team. Maybe if they had won more than six games uh, this season, I might be scared of that. But And, and you know, it, people talk about it being hard to beat a team three times in a row. Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt's going to beat Georgia. I mean, you know, I, I, it, it can ha- like in the back of my mind, I know there's possible. I might have just screwed him over there, Will. I might have just. <laughs> I might have just. That you said that. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, I just, I just feel it. I just. I I'm mean- not superstitious, but I am a little bit stitious, Billy. And uh, <laughs> man, I, I don't like saying that. I agree with you. I'm not gonna. Those words are not gonna come out of my mouth that uh, they can't. They're not going to because I fully can see them coming out and playing like they did in that Florida game and scoring 42 points. And then this, the whole perception of anything associated with positivity out of this year is gone. And that's the one thing I want to start off before we look ahead to anything or do any breakdown of anything is just to look at this game tomorrow night, game one, Wednesday night crappy slot on that game this is the make or break for the season and and that's going to sound ridiculous to anybody that doesn't closely follow Vanderbilt basketball but everything about this year has been about incremental improvement right they've incrementally improved they've won more games in the SEC they've won more games overall they have potential to have an above 500 record which would be a big improvement from where they have been to have eight wins in the SEC, including this game in the SEC tournament, if they don't win this game, because they won a game last all of the positivity's gone. Gone, gone. All of it's gone. 
and your the NIT is completely out the window first off. But secondly, it's just the feeling after the season is not going to be we improved in every aspect of success, which is right now the argument that can be made to why, even though we don't believe it was a success, but an argument from the it was a success side can be built on the fact that in every single aspect, this team got better. They got better from last season and wins and losses. And we said we weren't going to judge those too hard during the season. But after the season, I think you can take a step back and look because we're going to look at this as part of the trend in three, four years when we're breaking down Stackhouse or whoever the next coach is. So they're getting better. And it's going to feel like because the improvements weren't very dramatic, they didn't reach that goal of getting outside of that Wednesday night game. They have to at least win that Wednesday night game again. At least. And that's going to be the key. They have to at least win that game again. And then you can say they won the same amount of postseason games. They won more overall games. They won more SEC games. And you've got this class coming in. That's the side. You're building momentum. And, you know, this season was a in quotation, yeah. success. We don't think it was. But you can make that argument. If they lose this game, man, that goes out the window. Yep. Because the improvements weren't dramatic. They weren't huge, drastic win improvements. So if you're going to do incremental success, man, can that be blown up by one mistake here and one slip up against a team without a head coach? Yeah, I mean, it, you're, you're exactly right. And, well, and with really, a head coach, but, but without a head coach. Te- I mean. Technically not. You know, Tom Crean is basically one more game left at Georgia. And, and rallying around, man, like what? I, I, I didn't understand it. Is I Tom mean, Crean beloved at, at, by those Georgia players, A? And like, what are they playing for? They're like, we're, we're not even earning minutes for this guy. Like, yeah. this is completely just for film and whatever. So I, I yeah. don't see that with no, a 115 team whatsoever. I don't, I don't, I don't see that. And, and again, I'm going to stick with my prediction. Not that we're giving predictions out, which might be cool. But uh, well, in terms of Vanderbilt's path and what how we look at this season, it's crazy to think about if they lose to Georgia as opposed to being beating Georgia, and then maybe upsetting Alabama, Vandy fans look at this team completely differently. I mean, mm-hmm. drastically differently. So a lot can happen. And say they beat Georgia, they compete against Alabama. I still think it's, you know, okay, you competed, you won one game, but there's still that lingering. So I think looking ahead, I, I know I don't want to look ahead. We'll have a recap, uh, a podcast against after the Georgia game on Thursday and then preview in Alabama. But at the same time, if they can get to that Alabama game and maybe win that, Will, cool. Imagine what that could do and, and kind of for their confidence. And then you, well, you got, then I'll you change play my exactly. phrasing if they do that. If they go and they then you have to look at the season and say, not only did you incrementally improve on wins and losses, you also did the same thing in postseason play once you got fully healthy. And that's the big part that I that I don't think we've discussed enough. And I don't think Vanderbilt fans on social media and on anything have discussed enough is going into this tournament. This team's healthy from what we have heard. Rodney healthy. going to be playing fully healthy for like the fourth or fifth game of this entire season where they've been very, very successful. So that's what I wanted to get to is the gambling odds um, and, and kind of how we go. the money sees this going. And right now, obviously, you can guess who's going to be the favorite. I mean, it plays out a lot, a lot like how the standings do. Mm-hmm. You've got Kentucky as the favorite, Auburn and Kentucky sitting at plus 200 to win the conference championship. So if you bet $10 on Kentucky, you would get your $10 back plus $20 back if you mm-hmm. bet on Kentucky. Uh, you've got Auburn at plus 270, then it goes Tennessee at plus 370, then the odds get a lot higher, and you've got Arkansas at plus 700, above plus 1,000 is LSU, Alabama, and then you get the high numbers. Mississippi State at plus 4,500, Texas A&M plus 5,500, Florida plus 6,000, South Carolina plus 12,000, 
and Vanderbilt plus 20,000. So just for an example of what that number means, because most people aren't degenerate gamblers, <laughs> is if you put $1 on Vanderbilt to win the SEC tournament, you would win $200 plus your $1 back. So $10 would win you $2,000 is, is how that would go. But that sounds like, wow, that's terrible. But the other teams in the SEC, the three teams below Vanderbilt, are Georgia, Ole Miss, and Missouri. And those teams are plus 49000 so one dollar wins wow. you four hundred ninety. Ten dollars wins you four thousand nine hundred dollars. So Vegas views Vanderbilt is, and that's about as high as odds go. They're not going to put out odds higher than that because they don't want to take the risk, especially in a larger conference school that mm -hmm. doesn't have like this terrible, 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 awful bottom team. So that's basically just where they cap. Mm -hmm. But Vegas sees that Vanderbilt has some potential, fully healthy, that there is more value in betting on Vanderbilt to reach that level of success in the SEC tournament than these other teams. So I think that's a successful step, even though that sounds dumb. Just the perception of Vanderbilt from money, which is the best predictor of how games are going to go, by the way, uh, better than ESPN or FS1 or any of those talking heads you hear. Just look at the gambling market. It'll yeah. give you a way yeah. better idea of how things are going to go. Vanderbilt's improved. And so, like you said, if they beat Georgia and then beat Alabama, and that's a lot, this is looking way ahead. This season's an undeniable success because they've improved in every facet. But man, that's that's a tough path when you've it got uh, when you've got Alabama sitting there, who's who's Dangerous. I think sixth right now in those in those gambling odds to take the championship. Yeah, yeah, they're also the sixth seed in the tournament. And Will, you talked about what Vegas thinks. Here's what Ken Pomeroy thinks on how Vanderbilt lines up into the SEC tournament. They have an 80 percent chance to beat Georgia and advance to the round two, 26 percent chance to advance to the quarters a 4% chance to advance to the semis, and a 1% chance to advance to the finals, 0.2% chance to win the championship. So those are some of the – I saw somebody like say 25% was like, whoa, that seems low to beat Alabama. I said, no, that's actually way higher than I yeah. thought it would be. That, that's yeah. the chances of – percentage chances of both the Georgia win, which is 80%, and the Alabama odds, and it's still 25%. Yeah. So that game is cl really close to a toss-up. Yeah. in the analytical data from what that says. And I know damn well Alabama does not want to play a fully healthy Vanderbilt team in that, in that first no. round because Vanderbilt will have already played a game. They may be looking ahead to a game with Kentucky. Watch out. I'm not. We'll do our predictions if Vanderbilt beats Georgia. Uh, hopefully when Vanderbilt beats Georgia, we'll do our predictions for Alabama. But, Will, I would not be surprised if Vanderbilt competes and then maybe wins that game. We'll, we'll get to that a little bit later. I think there will be a little bit of chaos because Blake be came on and, and he had he had a different opinion than what I'm about to, uh, I'm about to have. We agreed on like 95, 90, 96 percent of things. Here but, we go. But one thing he said was somebody one of these top four teams is going to overreact because he made a reference to the stat of Vanderbilt being the only team that had beaten one of those top four yeah. teams at home this year. Um, of, of any team in the conference so he said one of these teams is going to lose on a neutral site in Tampa and everybody's going to overreact and say see look it's all because of this SEC home court advantage and refereeing we always hear about and he said that's just going to be an overreaction mm -hmm. and I wanted to say and I did a little bit I said I don't think it's an overreaction I think these statistics bear out the fact that there is this SEC officiating is so bad like so bad and so biased towards these blue blood programs at home. And it has played out over this year in the analytical data. And I want to get into that yeah. before the SEC tournament, because it is going to be fascinating to see how these teams play out without having an obvious advantage and bias from the referees. This is undeniable. 
This is every team in the top. Basically, it's the entire easy SEC, to see how it bears out, but specifically in the standings of this conference. So I'll get into that. Eight of the top nine teams in the SEC are in the top 38 out of 358 schools in the country with less, with a bigger foul differential playing out when they are at home versus when they are away. Wow. So basically the fouls, the, the foul differential. So if Vanderbilt had 20 fouls called against him, I know that's a lot. And Alabama had 25 called against them. Vanderbilt at home, it's a five difference. So it'd be minus five for Vanderbilt plus, or plus five for Vanderbilt, however you want to look at it. That's how they rank 38 team, the top 38 teams out of two, 358 division one schools, eight of the top nine teams in the sec are in that. So they are benefiting from these calls. They're getting almost a four foul difference. All of them minimum from playing at home versus playing away. And that's the only reason they're there. Vanderbilt, if you're curious, is 82nd in the country. So there's a pretty big difference between these top 30 schools and, and things below that. But not all nine of the top nine teams in the SEC are in the top 65. Auburn being the only exception there that's outside of the top 40. And every single school in the SEC is in the top 100, except for Ole Miss, who's 147. So there is SEC officiating bias at home. This is like yeah, everybody is. keeps talking about if there is. I'm like, this is not an if. This is year in, year out, every single year. That's why they struggle with success once they get to postseason play. Because these SEC teams, Tennessee, Kentucky, Arkansas, LSU, A&M, Florida, you're shocked when they struggle in postseason play. And I'm like, they have received the benefit of every questionable call on their side in their home arena the entire season because of the name on the front of their jerseys. And this is undeniable. This is played out through data over and over and over and over. And the SEC has done nothing to change it. And you're still here. There's a reason those teams at the bottom don't get those calls. There's a reason for that because this is not saying something like, well, the better team plays out. I'm like, no, these are the same teams. The only difference is one is when they're playing at home and one is when they're playing away. It's the same team spread out throughout the entire season. You have a benefit of being named Kentucky and you have a benefit of being named Tennessee in your home arena, but not in postseason play. Nope. And they're in for a rude awakening. That doesn't mean I, that in this SEC tournament that all of them are going to lose or one of those top four is not going to win it. But I would be shocked if this thing goes chalk. Yeah, I don't I, see all four of these teams making it out of I, the quarterfinals. I can't wait to see how these teams play in a neutral site away from home. They're, they're, they're no longer playing at Rupp Arena, no longer playing at Thompson Bowling Arena. It's going to look a lot different, and there's going to be some chaos. There, it, chaos will ensue in Tampa, and whether it's in Tampa or Nashville, I think it, it helps the chaos that it's in Tampa. You don't get as many big Blue Nation fans there, but at the same time, there's going to be some chaos. There's going to be some craziness in this SEC tournament and will Blake uh, Blake Lovell did a great job of outlining that he is uh, he covers SEC basketball for Southeastern 14 one of the new sites uh, actually developed here in the Nashville area he's an assistant editor for the annual Blue Ribbon College Basketball Yearbook as well so we've got Blake Lovell coming up here on the door report powered by a Fine Fine Wood Floors 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back into the Door Report. Alongside Will Byram, I'm Billy Derrick, and we'd like to now welcome in Mr. Blake Lovell. He covers SEC basketball for Southeastern 14. He's also the assistant editor for the annual Blue Ribbon College Basketball Yearbook. And Blake, uh, are, you, are you very busy? Or are you, uh, you a little bit bored at this time of year? <laughs> Yeah, Billy, we were talking before we started. I'm I'm looking at my calendar here and I'm like, what have I done? Like, why have I why have I scheduled uh, everything? But uh, I'll tell you at the top, uh, I enjoy always talking to you guys. So I was not going to leave this one off my calendar because I do. This is my my favorite week of the year. So I, I want to talk to anybody and everybody because it's just like we're all excited. SEC tournament. Then you got the selection show. And, um, you know, it's just it's so much fun this week and next week, especially with the first round of the tournament. So. Yeah, a lot going on, but man, I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Yeah, I, we we don't say this lightly. It's the best time of year. I mean, if you if you're a sports fan, this is you know you talk about college football playoff, but it feels like when this time of year comes around, it, it's it's the best. And and we'll start with Vanderbilt here, Blake. Uh, Scotty Pippen Jr. Can, c- continues to carry Vanderbilt here down the stretch. Uh, they hung on against Ole Miss on Saturday. That was a two point win down in Oxford for that game, Blake, and kind of for Vanderbilt's momentum heading into the SEC tournament. How important was it for that team to secure a victory? before the tournament yeah i mean it's significant considering how they lost the previous three i think more than anything um you know it's just i think it's not just that they did lose the previous three i think it's how they lost them and i think that's something that they needed they need to win like that it, it wouldn't have mattered again if it was a two-point win or, or 15 point win it just anything they could get at that point based on how close those games had been and, and really you know being in a position to I think went at least two of those. I think Mississippi State one was going to be tough, but I mean they they had their chances against Bama. They should have beat Florida. Um, so so yeah, they they really needed that one. And you know you're playing an Ole Miss team that's just been banged up all year, and you never know what you're going to get with them. And it just happened to to, to bounce the right way for Vanderbilt. So I, I thought it was significant because now you already knew you were settled into the the 11 seed, um, and you knew you were going to play Georgia. But at the same time, I think now you at least got a little bit of confidence knowing that all right. If we get past Georgia, we do get that rematch with Alabama. Um, so I think it, it sets up better than it would have, certainly if you're going in with a, a four-game losing streak. Blake, with the way Scottie Pippen has played against you know the, the big-time teams in this conference, he has big games against uh, Auburn, against Kentucky. I think he's averaged 24 points against ranked opponents this season. Where do you see him falling in the draft? And last season, that was a big discussion point with a lot of fans, a lot of Vanderbilt people, uh, and that's the reason he came back because he didn't like uh, where, where scouts had him falling. So after this season and the production he's had, first-team All-SEC, where do you see him uh, maybe falling in the draft? Yeah, it's going to be interesting because I, you know, I think a player like him, we we see it. I mean, we see the potential. There's not a lot of people that can make plays, you know, to that level, I think, that, that he can, especially in a league like this, right? And we always talk about just the evolution of the SEC. It's more of a guards league now, although this year, I think the big men could have something to say about that. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I think it's, you know, I think you were talking about probably a guy that's going to going to be in that second round somewhere, you know, if that's where kind of things wind up. But 
I mean, I've heard a lot of people say, and, and there's a lot of people that have talked about this is, you know, he, he could be one of those guys we talk about and look back and say, well, there's your, you know, there's your steal. Like there's a guy that could certainly be one that you look at and say, wow, how did that happen? Um, you know, how did he wind up there at that point? But I just think because of his, his playmaking skills, I, I, I truly think someone probably in that second round somewhere, because we know there's a difference between being a second round pick and a first round pick, but um, depending on what the needs are for some of those teams. And you're kind of just going off a lot of potential, I think, in the in the middle to late second round. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if you see a team somewhere that's like, man, this this guy knows how to make plays, and that's what you have to do in the NBA to be successful. So um, th- that that would be my gauge right now. But as you always say, you never know. It usually depends on team needs and all that. So Yeah, the weird part about Scottie Pippen Jr., thanks again for joining us here, Blake, on your on your busy week here uh, during the SEC tournament, and in my opinion, the best time of the year in, in sports in general. You have this, everybody talks about the beginning of March Madness, the beginning of that, but I really think conference tournament season, the selection show, the lead up, that's the peak of it. Mm-hmm. But back to Scottie Pippen Jr. now, I just had to get that out there. <laughs> but uh, Scottie Pippen Jr. here, everybody's talking about it as if it's a foregone conclusion that he's gone, that, that he's leaving for the NBA draft. Last season, he was projected to be probably about the same spot you were just talking about that mid-second round. He chose to come back, and he was the preseason SEC Player of the Year. He did not reach that, but he did lead the SEC in scoring. I don't think anybody would say he had a disappointing season at all, but he's in the same draft spot. So do you think that there's a possibility that he – decides to come back for his fourth season here at Vanderbilt with a much more talented roster in hopes of securing that first round selection that I think he was looking for that first time around last year. I mean, it's an interesting question. And I think that there are probably some NBA front office people that would probably advise him to do that. Um, just because, I mean, really guys, we, we look at this draft. I mean, it is, man, there, there's some good players in this draft. And obviously anytime there's always good players in the draft, but, I think this is one of those drafts where it's like, you know, you look at some of these guys specifically in the SEC that have played their way into the spots they're going to be in. You know, Jabari Smith's going to be the number one pick. I'd be shocked if he's not. Um, you know, we know potential for a, a Walker Kessler, who's now probably a lottery pick, and, and he's certainly exploded up um, the boards. And, and you look around at Ty Ty Washington and, and all those different guys. Um, you know, Kennedy Chandler has got a chance. There, there's guys like that that I think that are going to make this thing a lot more interesting. And, and you see all those names pushing up the board, Tari Eason, Iverson Molinar. I mean, she boy that goes without saying, um, I think that's where it becomes interesting if you're him. And, and ultimately, you know, I'm saying it right now. I, I don't think he comes back. I think he's gone. And I think it's a matter of, you know, what professional Avenue does he go towards? Um, does, does it work out, you know, in the NBA, are you fine with just being a, a second round pick probably, or, or do you, you know, do go another route, come back and, and do it that way. I'm not sure, but I think that it's probably to the point now where for him, there's more, I mean, cause look too, we have to be honest. There, there's so many more opportunities out there to get paid now. And um, I just think that, you know, the world's opened up to where if you do it, you know, last year, even then it feels like forever ago, but it's still much different now than probably it would have been at this point last year. So I think that's the route he goes. But again, if, if you're someone in the NBA front office, I, I wouldn't doubt it at all. If there are some people that, that think, Hey, you know, one more time maybe. And, um, you know, and that's, what we always talk about injury risks and everything. And my goodness, if there's a program that knows about injury <laughs> risks to, to future draft picks. Uh, we, we know it's Vanderbilt. So. 
Yeah, I think we're setting up some good talking points for the dog days of some or the dog days after <laughs> basketball season ends and going in. We'll have some stuff to talk about with whether or not Pippen decides to come back or enter the enter his name into the NBA draft officially this time around. But I have to ask one question. We've talked about the, the his draft prospects in the NBA and what he might decide to do. But I saw you tweet something earlier this morning today. Um, the show, and you can correct me on this, the 14 covering the SEC with you and Chris Lee there. And you had some type of SEC East versus West all-star draft. And so I've got to ask, was Pippen selected in that draft? And if so, where? And if not, who was selected over him? All right. So we did this away and we knew it was kind of a weird thing because we're like, okay, if we do a draft and we're picking East versus West, then obviously we have different pools to choose from. So I ultimately picked the West team. Chris picked the East team. So Chris picked Pippen pretty early on in that one. Um, now I will tell you, I tried a little backhand deal. I tried to go, you know, in the back alley somewhere to make a deal to see if I get <laughs> Pippen to just transfer, you know, to Arkansas or Auburn or something so I could draft him. But um, that was kind of what we went with. So he, listen, guys, I'm just going to be honest with you. My West team is going to just dominate Chris's East team. As good as Scotty <laughs> Pippen is, it's not good enough to, to overcome the power that is my, my West team that I drafted, but that'll, that'll be up on our channel this afternoon. So, um, if anyone wants to listen, by the time they listen to this, it'll be up, but, uh, yeah, we, we thought that was a, an interesting exercise, uh, to see kind of how it stacks up, but yes, no fear. Scotty Pippen was, um, he was drafted very early uh, in our draft. So, yeah, Blake, I mean, the SEC is loaded this year uh, and it's going to keep getting better. So, that we're going to talk about the SEC tournament and what it looks like in, in, with all the parity going on. But I got to ask you there's, there were nine players on the all SEC oh. first team. And, you know, I looked at that and I was like, okay, is this, is this the second team? Is this the first? Like, what, what are we looking at here? So, what's up with that? I know Pippen was on there, but you had nine other guys. Has, I don't think that's ever happened before. Yeah, Pippen was on there, and so so were us three apparently because um, <laughs> everyone's on there. I I think that's a new record for the SEC because it's funny. Chris and I have talked about that all season. I'm like, well, you know, they're gonna have eight on the first team. And I looked up this morning. I'm like, no, they've got nine. There are nine people on the first team now. Um, I just I think it's silly. Uh, someone was the Pac-12 maybe that had ten. Like, how on earth do you have ten? <laughs> um, it just make. And I hope I'm not throwing the Pac-12 under the bus here. It may have been another conference, but I think it was the Pac-12. Um, so I'm like, I don't know why they do it that way, but I guess it's just to get everybody on the board. Uh, we, now we did do, and this is, I guess this could be a point of discussion. Um, we did do our own all SEC picks and we did the traditional five. We did first team five and Chris crazy enough to, to make me do five teams here, but, um, <laughs> we, we did it, we made it work, but I will tell you, uh, and Chris was in a differing opinion here. I did not put Scotty Pippen on my first team all SEC. And I put him as the sixth player on my board, which would have been behind Oscar Sheboy, who's going to be the player of the year in the SEC, Jabari Smith, Walker Kessler, J.D. Note. And then I had the really tough decision between Tari Eason or Scotty Pippen. And Pippen, a lot more scoring, played more minutes, all that good stuff. But I was like, you know, obviously it's a Vanderbilt podcast, but I mean, LSU defensively is just been elite this year. Eason is kind of someone he's gotten in foul trouble, but I was like, man, how do I, how do I figure this out? So I ultimately went Eason because the the statistical numbers, like all of this advanced data seems to be in support of Eason in that conversation. But um, am I going to regret not putting Scotty Pippen on that first team? Probably so. Because, um, and that's what I told Chris. I said, Chris, if we're drafting this for like a, a five on five game, I'm picking Pippen over Eason. But 
Um, I think just looking at the body of work this year, I decided to go Easton. So because yeah. of that, because he, of that. he had to reference he had to reference the stats. So I just had to throw one here before you yeah. go to the next Philly, which is you know Pippen is tied or he's tied for fourth in the SEC in steals per game, so he's not too shabby yeah. on that end of the know. board either. I know. Now he's, I know the deep analytical data is a little is a little bit more than the steals, but. As Billy can tell you, I'm definitely the stats guy here of this podcast, so I can respect anybody that makes a decision based on that. Yeah, the stats, yeah, uh, we, the stats we, are there. We got into win shares and all kinds of stuff, guys. We were just going deep into this stuff, and it was it was pretty wild because I don't know. I mean, it's funny too because I didn't realize this as I was trying to make this argument. Eason and Pippen were the had the two highest usage rates of any two players in the SEC this year. So um, I I would not have even thought that Eason I would have thought P- Pippen would be in there, but I honestly didn't think Eason was. So that was kind of surprising to me too. So. Like I want to go a little bit deeper on Vanderbilt here, and and you know it, it, it's been a it, it's been an up and down season to, to to say the least, and it's been kind of that roller coaster ride with you know they they had that hot streak of winning games at home, uh, but you know again kind of down the stretch of a lot of these games they've kind of fallen apart. Uh, you know obviously getting the Ole Miss win was huge for I think the psyche of this team but overall Blake looking at this season as a whole just this year three up until now how would you as a guy who's covered the SEC for as long as you have how would you assess what Stackhouse has done here in year three yeah I mean and I'm not saying again everyone knows what I'm going to say here they've obviously gotten better I mean they've improved as a team they have more wins um, that's, you can't deny that. I mean, it's, it's undeniable. Um, the same theme as we joked about earlier, and it's not a joke, but it's like, it's just one of those cruel things at this point where, you know, if you have your entire team this past four or five seasons, who knows what the program will look like right now. But, you know, if they play an entire season with Rodney Chapman and Liam Robbins, I think Vanderbilt's in the NCAA tournament. Um, but you know, just didn't work out that way. And, you do the best you can with it. I think players have gotten better under Jerry Stackhouse. Um, I guess the only thing, though, is they've gotten better, but they weren't necessarily to that level yet of, you know, let's say, again, you get a five-star, right, and you, you improve him. That's different than if you get, you know, some of the other guys that, that are around that top 100, top 125 type guys, um, you know, maybe in that range somewhere. Um, and you improve them and they become really good players, but it's still, it's like, okay, we're still going up against all these, you know, five-star talents and all this. And it's just, I think that's the thing I would look at now moving forward is the recruiting. Can it support being able to, to sustain that success in the SEC year in and year out, knowing what you're going up against, not just in recruiting, but in the transfer portal, all this other stuff. Cause we're seeing what all these other teams are doing. I mean, John Calipari is embracing the transfer portal. Like, look out. That's not good for everyone else because it's not just a five-star freshman anymore. He's going out and getting the players that will complement things. And I think that's where for Vanderbilt, and I've, I've said this before, you, you can't bottom out the way they did in the SEC because that road back up is way tougher than you could even imagine. And I think that's what they're feeling right now is when they bottomed out several years ago and did not win a game and had this long losing streak, I don't think even now we're starting to see the ramifications that could have on a program. And has Jerry Stackhouse done a good job with some things? Yes. Has he done some things that he'd probably, you know, that fans would like to be a little bit different? Yes. Um, but, but the path forward without Scottie Pippen, I don't know exactly what that looks like next season. So that, that would be my other hesitation on that. Yeah, he hit on exactly the question I was about to ask, which was how much have you looked into the recruiting class this upcoming season and and associated things with that? And I can tell you 
based on the question of without Scottie Pippen Jr., what does that look like? And I can tell you, and Billy can tell you, it looks a lot like Noah Shelby. And he's going to basically come in and be the heir apparent to basically the exact same role Scottie Pippen Jr. is playing there as a four-star true freshman. They've got three four-stars coming in. But that's pretty much what I was going to get at. And you hit on every single thing I wanted to ask. But where do you see is do you see Stackhouse as somebody that will see success here at Vanderbilt and stay because of the leniency that maybe the university and support has allowed him here and kind of the potential that it has? Or do you see him as someone that will jump ship kind of like more a James Franklin up to a higher tier program? And I know Vanderbilt basketball and football are not necessarily the most comparable with the different issues, but do you see him as a guy that will stick it out or is this a five to six years if he gets it done he's gone and if he doesn't get it done he's gone so either direction yeah i mean just i don't know jerry stackhouse but i can just tell you what what i think and i think it's i don't think he's leaving for another college job if he leaves he's leaving for an nba job whether that's you know whether that's an nba head coaching job whether that's an nba you know top assistant that kind of thing um i could see that scenario more than i could see him leaving for a for a college job because to me i feel like the only college job you would probably lead for would be north carolina and well you know they just hired a new coach and i mean he's hubert Davis is going to get at least you know several years there at, at minimum just based on you know he's like the hand-picked success for successor of roy williams so he's going to be there and have time to do what he needs to do so uh, maybe that's something you look at eventually but again jerry, jerry stackhouse is not going to be in that conversation if he doesn't have some success and i think that's where you know that that's a factor too so Still a lot of unknowns. I, I don't think that's what Vanderbilt fans necessarily want right now is just to still feel like you're making progress, but yet, I mean, again, guys, it's, you're making progress, but you're in this league and you're he still finished He 11. sounds like me, Billy. That's what I mean, he sounds right? like right now. He it's sounds like, like what I say every every single podcast. You're making progress, but you still finished 11th. And, and yes, there are caveats to that of, well, if this guy would have played and that guy would have played, but you know, it's the SEC. And I think that's why you're going to see multiple coaching changes this offseason is because the guys we thought were going to be able to stay up there in the middle of the pack and, you know, final four parent Tom Green's been to final four. Um, you know, Ben Allen, who knows what happens in Mississippi state. He's been there too, but somebody's got to finish one through 14. And I just, I think for Vanderbilt fans, that's the, the question you ask yourself now is, are you, are you okay with that? Um, playing in the Wednesday night game for, how many years in a row now? So, straight, yep. I, I mean, that's that's the thing. And look, I'm not knocking Jerry Stackhouse because he can't control what happened before he got here. But I do think it put him at a disadvantage because of how things were. But I also think that, look, at a certain point, you have to you have to continue to climb that. And it's like, okay, if next year, if they finish ninth, you know, is that is that enough progress? Or I, that, that's the question I think you start asking at this point. So, yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. And, and Will and I talked about it, you know, it feels like Vanderbilt is out of that basement, but they're not quite to that middle tier yet. They, they're kind of on, on yeah. the, on the stairs walking up. They're not quite there yet. We'll see what happens next season, but Blake, let's get into the sec tournament Vanderbilt's path to 
eventually playing Kentucky, I think, you know, it, it's, it's manageable. I mean, Vanderbilt showed that they, they, they have what it takes. They didn't beat Alabama, but they've had, they have what it takes to beat teams like that. It starts with Georgia uh, on Wednesday night. What, what are you expecting in this matchup? Because we've got Tom Green, who has been announced he's going to be let go. I think some Vandy fans have already seen on Twitter that Georgia could be rallying around that. But Vanderbilt, this is a game you have to win. You have to win this. So uh, Vanderbilt, Georgia, what are you looking at in this matchup? And do you think there's any possibility that these Georgia players rally around the fact that their coach is going to be gone? I don't even know if you could rally around that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's always a possibility, but it's still a team that's won one game. And if you want to you want to flip that conversation we just had about Jerry Sackhouse, if they lose to Georgia, um, cool. any – any positive progress you've made is going to go out the window. And I know it's one game, but uh, that's, that's just how the fan base is going to look at it. So that would be my thing, but yes, they, they should beat Georgia. Uh, I just, Cario Quinto is really good. I think that's worth pointing. Bradley Bridges has been pretty good too for Georgia. Those are two guys to keep an eye on, but um, Vanderbilt should beat Georgia. There's, there's no question about it. And that's, again, that's the kind of game you have to win. If you want to show that you're making progress um, beyond that, you know, Alabama, who knows? I mean, it's just, who knows? Alabama, you just, you never know what you're going to get from them. Um, the good thing for Vanderbilt is that they're an 11 seed. Because if they were a one seed, Alabama would play their best basketball of the season. Um, but because they're an 11 seed, Alabama probably, you never know. And mm -hmm. so I think that's the thing with them. So I, I think, like you said, I, I honestly think Vanderbilt has a, a manageable path to, to Kentucky. Um, I don't think you want to play Kentucky right now. If you had to ask me, I'd probably pick them to win the whole thing. Uh, but I just think that, again, they've proven they can play well against both Alabama and Kentucky. And so I think that's at least something that you can be encouraged by, right? You can at least look at it and say, that home game against Kentucky, not great. But you played well in Rupp. You should have beaten Alabama. Um, and so in that scenario, I think it's actually – I don't want to say it sets up well because it doesn't. Because, again, we've seen, we've seen what Alabama can do. They've got a group of wins that is probably almost as good as anybody in the country, beating Gonzaga and Baylor and teams like that. But um, is there a path? Absolutely. And I think that that's where, you know, that's where we talk about like the positive momentum. If you, if you could make a run to Kentucky and let's say you play a good game and you lose that one, no shame in that. You're going to the off season with a lot of confidence. Um, at least you're moving in the right direction. But again, think about how different that conversation would be if they lose to Georgia. Then what's that discussion like going into the off season? And, Blake, looking at the top four teams, they've been nearly unbeatable at home. It's funny, Vanderbilt is the only team uh, to beat those top four teams at home, and that was Arkansas. That was the first SEC game of the season. Will and I have kind of joked about that. Uh, but at the same time, you got to believe at this neutral site, anything can happen in this tournament. I mean, the top eight, nine seeds feel like maybe six, seven teams can win this. So is this the most parity you've seen in an SEC tournament in a, in a long time? I know a lot of people are talking about all the parity. Yeah, I think it's like, because of what you said, these these four teams have been so good at home that I can already tell you what's going to happen, guys. One of these teams is going to lose, and there is going to be an absolute meltdown somewhere yep. of people that are just going to overreact to one of these teams and say, oh, I told you, they can only win at home. I think that's just ridiculous. But here's the thing. It's like they, they, these four teams that didn't just walk on the floor and they called the game and said, all right, well, there you go. There's a victory. Um, they had to play those 40 minutes or more and win those games. And so I think that these these four are as strong as the four we had several years ago. Maybe not the exact same, but I, I think it's close. Uh, where we had, you know, LSU was the regular season champion. Auburn won 30 games. Tennessee won 30 games. Kentucky won 30 games. That was the year Auburn got the final four. Um, 
I mean, this is it's somewhat of a similar setup here, but I think you've got two teams behind them. LSU right now would probably be my sleeper pick to win the whole tournament. I just think they're, I mean, you guys heard me, you know, gushing over Tara Eason a little while ago, and I just think that they are really, really, really talented, and they are so good on defense. We always say it, defense travels, and I think that's something that will help LSU, but I don't know if their offense can travel, because if it doesn't, they get beat by anyone, because uh, they're not as good offensively as they have been in recent years. So I think that's the that's the one thing I would look at with LSU, but I think they actually have a pretty decent setup. A third game with Arkansas, who's already beaten them twice. A little revenge factor there. Um, you know, beyond that, I think Alabama, as I said, anytime if they decide to show up and play their best basketball, they can beat anybody in the in the tournament. Um, but you just never know what you're going to get with them. I, I don't know if I see anyone beyond that. I know I've had some people try to convince me to be Mississippi State. I don't see it. I just Mississippi State's been terrible away from home this year. And have they got the talent? Sure. They got the potential? Sure. But they haven't proven it to me yet. They just haven't beaten a lot of good teams. So uh, Florida, maybe. I think that's the one to keep an eye on because they're playing for their NCAA tournament lives, basically. They have to win two to get in. Um, you know, they've already beaten Auburn. So if they can get by A&M. A&M's another tricky one because A&M's on the bubble. I don't, I don't care what anyone else says. They're, they're there. They've just got to probably win three games to get the tournament, but they're there now. So um, it's, it is, man. I mean, you, you hear me talk about all those teams. Like we said, even Vanderbilt is the 11. I think Vanderbilt's playing really good basketball, even though they lost some of those games down the stretch, they're playing really well. And so it, it's going to be wide open. Uh, I would still, you know, be the, be the chalk guy and probably pick the top four. But I think teams like LSU, Alabama, uh, Florida, like I said, even Vanderbilt on the right day, they've got a superstar and I love, I love superstars in tournament time. So, uh, there, there's a lot of possibilities with this thing. Well, he took the three questions I had written down underneath that, Billy. He took the who was his favorite, who was a dark horse, and then uh, where he fell. What, what else he got, Will? Actually, was a dark horse, dark horse there. But I will, I will say one reference to something that uh, you mentioned there, Blake, with the home court advantage and playing on the neutral site, is I know you talked about the deep analytical stats earlier, but it's pretty fascinating to look inside of Ken Palm. Um, inside of the home court ratings of the personal fouls called at home versus away. And three of those top four teams in the SEC are top 30 in the country. And all four of them are top 65 in the country. And there are like nine SEC teams in the top 50. So there is a huge home court advantage. And this SEC ref thing we talk about, it's not in our heads. It's real. <laughs> this is actually real. It's played out over the season in the analytical data. It's actually bad. But you took all my SEC tournament questions, so I'll ask kind of an NCAA tournament question. I know there's a lot to play out in these conference tournaments, but how many teams do you realistically see getting in from the SEC? I think it's going to be six because, again, I, I just have a I have a hard time trusting Florida. Um, I know you guys, if you've seen me on Twitter, I, I say this way too much. I just I think Florida's like the ultimate up and down and – just when you think maybe they're turning the corner, they don't. And they just, so, I mean, they're the closest clearly at this point. Um, I think the good thing for the SEC is that those six teams that get in are all going to be probably, you know, honestly, guys, if LSU makes a run, there is legitimately a potential that all six of those teams could be top five seeds. I don't think it's going to happen. I think someone will drop to a six because I, I really think Alabama and LSU are right on that sixth line right now. Um, but man, if that's the case, that, that again, shows you kind of the strength of the league. So I look at this and think that it's going to be six. Again, I, would I be shocked if Florida wins two? That's in their home state. I think they'll have a little bit of a crowd there. I wouldn't be shocked by it because I think that's the SEC's best chance at this point. But 
A&M, I think, having to get to the championship, I, I don't think two is going to be enough for them. Now, maybe I'm wrong on that, and that's something to keep in mind. Maybe there is a scenario where if A&M beats Florida, beats Auburn, that bubble shrinks a little bit. Some of the other teams get knocked out of contention. Then maybe A&M can slide into one of those last four end spots. I, I think that's probably hoping for a lot of bad things to happen elsewhere. Um, but I think it's going to be six. I wish I, I trusted Florida to make it seven, but um, I think just winning that first game against A&M is going to be a challenge. So um, my, my best guess is probably six. Yeah, Blake, you said in Florida's home state, so I've got to ask one quick thing here, just an opinion. Why did they move it to Tampa A? Oh. And B, are you a fan of it in Tampa, or are you no. a logical human being <laughs> that, and and normal, and we like you on this fan want it to be in Nashville because that just makes sense? So, so answer yeah. that question. Completely unbiased phrasing. There you go. Yeah, well, that's completely biased answer. I I don't like it in Tampa because I I would like to be able to just drive 15 minutes down the road and be there and set up shop for a week. Um, but no, it's uh I. Of all years, too, right? It's like the SEC is really – I mean, you could make the argument it's the best conference in the country this year, um, and and it's going to be in Tampa. Uh, but the good news is for Tampa, the attendance last time was just awful. I mean, truly awful. I don't even remember what it was, but I remember watching it. It was just – it was bad. Now, the one thing it didn't yeah. – 2009, that was it. I want to say Vandy – I don't remember how what Vandy did that year, but um, here's what I do know. The final four in the tournament, the SEC tournament, was LSU Auburn as a like double digit seed, Mississippi State and Tennessee. Nothing against those four fan bases, but at that time with no Kentucky or Florida, of course attendance is not going to be very good if those teams get knocked out early. So um, I think that's going to be different this year because you're going to you again you've got you're going to have all these fan bases I think travel really well. I mean these top four again I respect Florida to have some, Bama will have some, LSU will have some, um, but. I just think no, I don't. I don't ever want it in Tampa again. Yeah, not I, the SEC consults my opinion, but I, I don't. So. Yeah, hopefully it's never in Tampa again. It's it's uh, hopefully. I mean, it's going to be in Nashville the next three four years, and then uh, we'll see where they go. Maybe St. Louis. That'll be manageable, but definitely not Tampa. But yeah. we'll see. Uh, maybe it gives SEC, other SEC teams a chance without uh, Big Blue Nation invading Nashville the way they usually do. So we'll see about that. Yeah. But Blake, thanks again for taking the time. The best time of the year is here, and you're always here to uh, to join us to cover it. So thanks again, and uh, enjoy the month of March. Yeah, I always enjoy it, guys. Keep up the great work. Uh, I listen to you guys a lot, and uh, yeah, uh, let me know anytime you need me.